This is an NBA Sound System presentation of The Pickup Game, produced by Hall Pass Media. To watch the entire video series, visit hallpassnetwork.com. Now, to The Pickup Game. I'll get it uh, teed off with uh, Pistons head coach Dwayne Casey, who uh, joins us right now as we try and chop up some buckets, chop up some hoops. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us. And, uh, man, this has been a strange time not only in the world of basketball and across the basketball NBA landscape, but the in, the entire world. Um, uh, first things first, how have you been keeping yourself busy during this time? Well, again, I probably had more Zoom uh, conference meetings and telephone conference meetings and, and text messages back and forth to players than I've ever had during the season. So it was kind of a good thing. It kind of helped us get refocused and reorganized, spend more time with my family, uh, but again, it's a, a time for a reflection, Mark, as you know, uh, it really puts everything life in perspective, sports in perspective and family in perspective. How much uh, contact you mentioned the contact? What, what, what's a daily what's an what's an average day like for you, coach, in terms of reaching out to your players, reaching out to your staff? They say that in a time like this, it's great to have a quote unquote plan for your day. What's your plan for the day been like? Well, normally uh, get up and, you know, try to keep a schedule to get up in the morning. Uh, we have a planned uh, telephone coaches meeting uh, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then we have Tuesday and third Tuesdays is the front office with Arn and Ed Stefanski. And, and then on, and on uh, Thursdays, we usually have a different, whether scouting, draft, uh, free agent meetings during the day, uh, throughout the day. So, it, it, I, my daily schedule is is full throughout the week as far as whether it's our players. I try not to over uh, over communicate with our guys every day because we have our strength coach, our, our weight and conditioning coach, work uh, talking to guys each day. So again, I'm sure they're getting tired of hearing from us uh, as much as you know as anything else. But try to make sure we stay connected uh, as much as possible each day of the week. Right. Um- as we wait to bring uh, Seth Greenberg in, Jones, Coach. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can you. hear you. Oh, I can, we can hear you. We can hear you. A lack of technology for me. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but I, I was just listening to that. I, obviously, routine right. is so important. Before we really kind of dig, dig deep into it, you know, mm-hmm. we've been doing these hall pass web hoop conversations and shows uh, the last. This is our second one. I appreciate everyone being here. I think the one thing we got to do before we even get started really is just thank. All the selfless people that are out there working tails off every single day, the doctors, the nurses, the hospital workers, the people that are moving our food chain, the people that are working in stores that are enabling us to have some semblance of a life, the sacrifices that so many people are, are making. Uh, to me, it's incredible. It's inspiring. Yeah. You, know, you always talk about heroes. To me, you know, whether it's the person delivering the meal or I have three neighbors that are doctors, seeing them go off each and every day to uh, to work is, you know, it's 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 emotional in a lot of ways. And right. we're very, very thankful for that. Great point. Our team, uh, to, to your point, Seth, our team doctor, Dr. Shehab, uh, was with, at Henry Ford Medical Center. He's probably been the most important person, and you just asked me, Mark, communicating with each and every day. We see all the trends. You know, Detroit's a hot spot right now, or has been. It's the I think we've hit a plateau a little bit, but 
He was in our ear each and every day, talking to the players, communicating what's good, what's going on, what's happening, explaining questions that everybody had because we were in quarantine for 14 days because Christian Wood tested positive. So, but he was probably the most important selfless person within our group uh, these last two months. Yeah. It's just scary. It's scary stuff. And those people, you know, to me, you know, I get so tired of the static that's around us and everyone wants to be right. Everyone wants to have that sound bite. Everyone wants it. But you know what? If we could just do what these people are doing and yes. the tone is so important. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. It's listening and hearing and appreciating each other. And, you know, I'm so tired of these commercials we see each and every week that we're all in it together. You know, yes. the big thing is we need to be all in it together. And, and those medical officials to me and, and everyone else that's involved, they they have set the standard. You know, so I used to always say the standard is the standard. They've set the standard of how we all need to carry ourselves in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I just want to make sure, we, you know, that that's important to me. And I'm, I know it's important to you guys. Now, we're trying to get ham on here, but. The reason I wanted to get all you guys together is you know, I have so much respect for Coach Hamilton. I, I just think, one, he's a, he's an incredible human being. He's a great mentor. He's a great person. He cares so much. And he looks so damn young for a guy that's so young. <laughs> 71. I tell you what, I, you, you would never know it. I yeah, we got to get to what he got. got. got to save stuff right there. But, like, I know he's had an impact to both of you. Dwayne, he, he recruited you to Kentucky, right? He sure did. And and I'm going to say this, Seth, you just said it. He, not only is he a good coach, he's a great human being. Every important decision I make, whether it was getting married, whether it's my, uh, any coaching staff over the last 12, 13 years I've had, he's had an input on it. I run stuff off of him. I throw bounce things off of him. Every big decision I make through my personal uh, professional career, he's one of the the few people that I, I consult and talk to. And he's been a godsend to me and almost like a second dad. And you know, George, brother, he, we're about the same age, so he's he, <laughs> like a brother, so to speak. <laughs> you know, I, I've been down here in Miami, guys, on and off for close to 30 years now. And um, when Coach Ham was at the University of Miami building that program, um, uh, to see the way that he labored to get – I remember going to his office a lot of times, and he had the little dollhouse there with his images and his rendition of what – the on-campus arena would look like because for so long, people forget, they played down on Southwest, uh, on Northeast 8th Street and Biscayne Boulevard on the other side of Biscayne Boulevard, not where the fancy arena is now, but on the other side of Biscayne Boulevard at the old Miami Arena. His dream, his vision was always to see that arena built, and I'd go visit him down there at the University of Miami. He'd have the, the little dollhouse moved around. I'm down waiting on the we talk about you and and to see it happen and then speaking of coach just you know to finish on the impact that that coach hamilton has had on on me personally uh you know when my wife and i were first getting married i can remember visiting him one of those times and he took out a bible from his office desk and gave it to me and wrote some wonderful scripture in there and i found it at the time and still do very inspiring and once in a while uh, I'll, I'll look for that Bible and read from it. When I when I look at the way that he's been graced and blessed in his career, uh, just so inspiring on so many fronts. And when you see the amount of players that have uh, been through his program at Miami and Florida State, it's uh, it's really amazing. Uh, I consider it one of my life accomplishments to have been associated no with. Question. Well, he started me out in coaching too. I was a grad assistant with him and. 
uh, Dick Parsons and Coach Hall. I just talked to Coach Hall last week, who I think he's like 92 now and still still into it, still vibrant, still alert. But Coach Hamilton broke me into coaching, and my he get his assignment for me was to take care of Sam Bowie, Melvin Tur- Turpin, bless his <laughs> rest his soul, uh, Dirk Minifield, right. Derek Horde, that whole group. My job was to teach him the six eight ten offense, which was the offense that Kentucky had had for so many years. But Coach Ham put me in charge of those guys, and anytime he brought recruits in, in the, on the weekends at Kentucky, it was my job. I remember bringing in Clark Kellogg, and wow. uh, you know, being entertaining him for the weekend and and sell him on Kentucky and uh, whatever coach Ham wanted me to do as a grad assistant after I got through playing at Kentucky, I went and did it, you know, and he was a great mentor and, and uh, I owe him so much of getting me started in, in coaching. Yeah. You know, Seth, one of the things Seth, that um, I always hear as a common denominator amongst coach Ham's players from Miami all the way to Florida state through the years is they never want to disappoint him. He 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 motivates his players in such a way that um, they don't want to disappoint him, and that to me is almost the ultimate compliment uh, in terms of coaching style and philosophy. You know, and that that goes a long way, I think. And obviously, it's been a tremendous success. So it's it's, it's really amazing when you look at you know we're talking still on Coach Hamilton, ACC yeah. Coach of the Year again this year, twenty six and five. Um, got a great commitment from a player down here in my area in Miami, Scotty Barnes uh, from Montvert Academy, who's committed to Florida State for next year. Uh, have a couple of players that um, committed. Are you on now, Coach? And it sounds like we have been able to bring in Coach Hamilton. Coach, you there with us? Yes, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Can you hear me? We're, we're, we're bragging on you. I tell you what, your head's probably exploding now. We've been bragging on you for the last fifteen minutes. <laughs> and while we uh to get uh seth greenberg in here but one thing i would say about coach ham's teams one thing that you know and i i watch so many you know videos and and game footage of of teams his team other teams players we're looking at one thing you you can know his team defend their butts off and how he does it i, I i'm gonna get a recipe for it he can play 10 to 12 guys and all of them, they, they're all happy. They understand their roles. He gets players to play their role. They get 10 minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, whatever it is, those guys go out there and perform. And so that's that's a, a mark of an excellent coaching, of a, a leadership of Coach Ham as far as instilling that guys buying into their role. Coach, what have you been uh, up to in the recent – eight weeks in this at home order world that we're all in right now. I've tried, I've tried to turn it up a notch. I realized that this is a, a very difficult time for all of us. And, and what I'm trying to do is prepare myself for the unexpected. Cause I realized that these are times that we're dealing with. No question. I, and, I, and I think, Coach, you said it on the head. You can't, we can't go, you can't coach and can't prepare the way we've been doing. So what you're doing now is so important. I think we're all trying to coach for the unexpected, stay ahead of the curve. Uh, you know, whether it's college basketball, NBA, we have no clue what it's going to look like once we come back, whether it's going to be no fans. 
which I think is going to have an impact on both your team and uh, on the college level and the NBA level. No fans, uh, you know, some fans, I don't know. But uh, I think what whatever comes before us, you have to prefer, prepare for it, and we all have to be ready for what's about to hit us. Should I see if this is working? Can you hear me? Yeah, buddy. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm here. You're uh, hearing two or three yeah. conversations. Hey, hey, by the way, Are it's you been guys? a love fest, Ham. It's been an absolute love fest to start this thing off. <laughs> As it should be, no doubt yeah. about it. Uh, hey, I got a question for you guys. We all follow this, the last dance stuff. I'm going to go around like, Dwayne, what was your what was your one takeaway from that from last night? Well, we played them in 96 when I was in Seattle in the finals. Uh, the one thing that you know about the Chicago Bulls, and the one thing that I took away from these last four episodes is how Phil Jackson was Fellas, able. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah we can hear I'm, you. I'm hearing two or three conversations. Okay. We have had major today. We'll get it worked out. You were saying, Coach? Okay. Casey? Well, one thing that one thing that you can tell that's amazing is how he got that group to buy into the triangle. Mm. Here's a superstar, Michael Jordan, who goes from getting what 40, 50 points a night to coming in. Okay, we're going to take the ball out of your hand. And by the way, you got to be happy. You still got to be the leader. But we're going to run this sophisticated read and react offense that uh, you go from Doug Collins, who called most plays, which were geared to Michael Jordan, but we're going to get the ball out of your hands. Okay, you're the best player that's ever played the game, but now go fit in. I, I just don't know. It, it takes an extraordinary coaching job to be able to do that, to get Michael to buy in to that system. And not only buy in, he embraced it and had other players to buy into it. I thought that was a, the biggest takeaway I took from the difference between Doug and and also Phil. Yeah. What do you think, Jonesy? You know, it's funny. I, I covered all six of those championship drives and runs that the Bulls made. And the, the moments that stick out to me, especially from episodes one and two, was the six three-pointer game that Michael had against the Portland Trailblazers in the 1992 series. His success and his gravity was so profound and so tangible. You could feel it. Like, I saw him wear out some tremendous defenders, uh, Jerome Percy, um, you know, they put Porter on him, they had Drexler on him, and Michael was just cooking. He, he could not be stopped. And then, you know, from the media standpoint, guys, I think about how accessible he was during that time. Now, picture this. Before every game, he'd be in his locker room after doing his pregame interviews with NBC, who had the rights at the time, I'd walk into the old Bulls stadium locker room where the Bulls were, and he would have one of the first stalls there. And Michael would be just sitting there putting his uniform on. And when we had our accessibility hours for those 45 minutes, he'd say, hey, Marky, what's up? What's going on? And, and he'd love to listen to all the gossip going on. You could talk to him about the series. You could talk to him about his family, talk to his kids. And Dwayne Seth, you know nowadays – and. and I mean, nowadays in the NBA, some of your elite, elite players, you know, during that media accessibility time, they're, they're in the trainer's room <laughs> for the first 40 out of the 45 minutes, right, and they come right. about three minutes to go. It's a media scrum, and then the guy comes in, the media director comes and says, guys, it's time to leave. He, Michael was so accessible and handled it with so much aplomb that 
it really is unbelievable looking back on it now. No question. No, go ahead. Yeah, Dennis Rodman comes in, Pippen comes back. Dennis Rodman comes in. I need 48 hours in Vegas. They don't go to practice. <laughs> they don't go to ownership. They go to Michael and say, hey, Michael, all right, here's the deal. Dennis needs 48 hours. Now, first of all, could that even that, – there's no way that could happen today. But, I mean, like, Dwayne, you're sitting there. I mean, right. you were the NBA coach of the year. I mean, you've won a gazillion games. I put my put yourself in, in in that situation. How crazy would that be in today's world? <laughs> well, it would be crazy, but I'm I'm gonna say this: There's all as an NBA head coach, one thing you got to be able to do is be flexible. And I promise you, if Phil Jackson had went in there with a hammer and a whip and chain or whatever in a chair, he would not have gotten it done. He, get, he, he went in there with a piece of paper and was slicing and dicing, getting them to do what he wanted them to do by, by making it their idea, by making it Michael's idea, by selling Scotty on it. And in today's world, with that type of talent, those type of superstars, first of all, Seth, in today's NBA, the, there's not enough money, there's not an owner in this league that probably can afford that type of talent. You know, you'd be so far over the luxury tax. But that type of approach that he had is the only way whether it's letting dennis go I, I don't know if you'd say go to vegas but take a few days off you know and and the other thing too at that time there's far more days between games than there are today so you had two or three days between games where today that's ver very rare uh but i think phil handled that team the way you had to handle it you've got to make it you know one whether philosophical or not, Michael's got to be your partner. You know, Scottie Pippen's got to be your partner. Uh, you know, more so than, like you said, the relationship with the front office, your relationship with those two guys by far is the most important. And he was very smart in making it, uh, you know, Michael's idea or getting Michael to buy in to give uh, Pippen, I mean, uh, Rodman those days off because if I promise you, if Michael wasn't for it, it wasn't going to happen. Coach, what was your takeaway? Did you watch uh, the last dance last night? Do you have any takeaways from last night? I know you got some philosophy on this one. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with, with Coach Casey. Um, there's no doubt that Phil had uh, an instinct of how to relate to situation. He was extremely confident in who he was. He was yeah. confident in his own skin. Uh, he didn't allow little things to bother him. Uh, he realized that uh, different personalities uh, has a way of, of making up a, a unit. And I think that he he really had a good feel for how to communicate with those guys. And it made a huge difference in the success of the team. And uh, that's the skill that's, that he was beyond his years. And uh, chemistry, teamwork, and developing a culture is so important to success. Hey, no Joseph, yeah. start walking off. <laughs> All right, you were probably covering those games, right? Yeah, here's, here's, um, here's a take that I've heard that diverges a little bit from the Rodman to Vegas vacation uh, that they talked about last night, is that the Bulls actually at the time sent one of their strength and conditioning coaches out with him. Um, and... It was like the old Wilt Chamberlain free throw shooting coach. The the Wilt free throw shooting didn't get better, but the 
free throw shooting coach was shooting 86% at the end of it all. <laughs> you couldn't find this crazy conditioning guy that they sent out with Rodman to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Every time they tried to reach him, it, it was in the middle of a, a club or it was they were busy doing something. And so um, the, the whole picture of that plus Carmen Electra last night in the documentary saying that um, Michael Jordan's knocking on the door and she went to the closet. That whole picture kind of really. I have a question. I have a question, though, guys. How was Michael Jordan in Vegas knocking on the door to get to practice? That that's that threw me for a loop right there. Yeah. But again, the, the whole thing. But but again, I, it like Coach Ham just said, Mark, you just said, Phil was a master. He knew what he had to allow Rodman to do, and whether Rodman was yelling, "Hey, I need rest." I, I'm sure there was some turmoil between the the threesome with uh, Jordan, uh, Pippen, and Rodman come and Pippen coming back. So it, it was an opportunity for for Rodman to get away, reconnect, re you know, kind of re get himself together a little bit more uh, as as those three got back together. And as you saw, once he came back, got back to work, there was no issues. And you know what? I can remember Seth. Uh, I can remember covering that run, that end of the run, too. And there were several times during the regular season when I'd wait for Dennis to do an interview with ESPN, and he wouldn't be available until a good hour and a half after because after a lot of games, he'd play like 36, 38 minutes and then be in the weight room doing 30 minutes of lifting and another 20 on the bike. So I think some of those things that happened extraneously were overlooked because he was such a physically – uh, dominant player in his own unique way. I thought the cool thing about that team, and we always talk about guys playing to their strengths. Like Rodman's the greatest example. Like when that stat came up, he had so many games where he had 20 points and no rebounds. Like, like what a great stat for a young player today, Coach Ham, to say, right, you're going to tell, you're going to be the best defender and the best rebounder in all of college basketball, and that's going to make you millions of dollars. That would be a hard sell. But like well, that, just, that team bought into their strengths. I mean, what were you think, Ham? But Phil, Phil was somewhat of a maverick himself. You know, he didn't dance to the the, the yeah. normal beat of everybody else's drum. So he he had a different outlook and approach, and it's, that was a unique situation that not very many guys could have even had the right feel. And it was this very unique as to how the team bought into his way of communicating with them. And uh, I mean, I, I can imagine myself standing out with my team standing up in the air doing some yoga. I mean, I'm not real sure that would work with me, Casey. I don't know about you. <laughs> no, no. That, that, again, it, it, he was different. He was totally different. I mean, and again, he had this persona about him that was, I don't think anybody else could have pulled off in the entire league. Uh, to give you to give you guys an example, you know, Seth, you asked the question, what would you allow guys to do? I remember having Kevin. I wish I knew now what I knew, uh, you know, could have coached Kevin Garnett back then, because I came in with the whip and chain thing. And, OK, I'm going to get this guy to buy in. No, you're not. You can fool yourself all you want to. You're not going to get you. You better get him as your partner. And I wish and Coach Ham said it. I wish I had the confidence I have now back then. I'd probably still be in Minnesota, <laughs> but again, <laughs> got to get those guys on your side to buy in. And Phil did a, a great job. And again, I thought Doug Collins did a great job too. 
he, I think, you know, Phil kind of came in and gave it a little bit more structure, got everybody else involved, and the rest is history. It's funny you said that because I had lunch one day. I'm 24 years old watching a Knicks training camp, and UB Brown invites me to lunch because it's a five-star. So I'm I'm a nervous wreck. I'm a nervous wreck. And so I'm, I sit down with him in, in his, his suite, and, I, and he's talking about the practice and this and asked ask me what I thought. And I don't know, something, I, I said something about Bernard King. And he said, you know what the most important thing is? If you can't coach your best player, you can't coach your team. Right. That's true. And he said, coach and communicator, touch, connect with. And that stuck with me almost all the time. And watching yesterday, like the ability that Jackson developed with Michael Jordan to bring him into that circle, because Michael Jordan, his whole deal with that summer, like that's the thing that stuck out to me in the whole thing. That summer before they won the championship, he decided that they had to, he had to get stronger. They had to get stronger to deal with the, the Pistons. And once he made that commitment, leadership's getting other people to follow you. Like, what what was your guys' take on? Could that happen today? I mean, I think it could happen in college. One guy having that much of an impact on the rest of the group. I mean, what do, what do you think of that case? Well, the the no, you just said it. When your top player is your hardest worker, what else can anybody say? I guarantee you. Uh, there's nobody on that team that could question how long practice was. If you saw the running drill that they were doing when when uh, Rodman came back, if Michael Jordan didn't want to do that drill, they wouldn't have done that drill. But because he bought into it, everybody was running that let, the laps around the practice court, which is very unheard of during the regular NBA season. But because he was he was that guy, and again, you've got and that's what I've learned over the years and. Learn from him. You've got to be able to coach, got to be able to find the button to push of your star players. It may be allowing him, okay, you need a day off, go over there and ride the bike and watch practice. It may be that to get him to buy in the next six days. And, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, well, I would have done this, I would have done that. But until you're there in the battle, in the heat of battle with those players, you've got to find out quickly and through building that relationship what gets that guy to tick. And that's what I, I and I'm gonna say this about Ham. Ham does that with his players. And I said it earlier, for him to be able to get 12, 13 guys to buy in by not playing, you know, 40 minutes a game, 38 minutes a game, you know, you're gonna come to Florida State, but you're gonna get an NBA opportunity, but you're only gonna play 10, 12 minutes a game, and you're gonna play this system, you're gonna pick up full court, you're gonna play defense. But that's smart, that's that's good coaching and that's something uh, Coach Ham has done over the years. But by the way, they're ready for the NBA once they get there. I think that's a great point, Dwayne. I, I, you know, I, um, the connection between a star player or your alpha dog player and his head coach like Michael and Phil is, I don't think you can overstate the importance of that. Um, you know, I can remember our, you know, your guys' colleague, uh, Avery Johnson, telling me one time when uh, he was starting out coaching the Dallas Mavericks that uh, he would go to dinner with Dirk Nowitzki, like, for a week straight. And I said, you know, Coach, what's, what is it? You guys talking basketball? He goes, well, you know what? He goes, at the end of the day, my player, especially my number one guy, has to know that I know him as a person and I care about what's going on with him. And I think that goes a long way. And I think even though Phil is a little, uh, you know, Phil Jackson was a little idiosyncratic at the time with the yoga and some of the other stuff, the, the Native American folklore and legendary things, 
Uh, I think Michael saw that and respected in that, and they bonded over that. And nothing speaks more, guys, to the respect that Michael and Bill had as a unit than Dennis Rodman coming in from San Antonio because you guys remember that didn't end very well, um, you know, with, with Madonna being around and – you know, it, it just wasn't a great ending for Dennis in San Antonio. And it was great foresight by Bulls management at the time to be able to say, you know, with Michael and with Scotty, uh, he'll respect the talent in the front office and the structure and the culture we have here. And he bought in for the most part and they went on to win some titles. I mean, that was probably the only that was probably the only team that probably could absorb Dennis Rodman's personality in the NBA at that time. Maybe if Magic went to L.A. with Magic and that group, but with Michael's power and his his leadership and Phil's leadership, there's probably one or two teams in the whole league that could absorb that type of personality. Let me ask you guys this real quick. Uh, Coach Casey and Coach Ham, especially, mm-hmm. and then I want to hear Jonesy's thought. NBA says potentially they can open up practice facilities, which would allow guys at least to come back and have a safe place to train. Colleges, Coach Ham, obviously – Universities are closed right now. If the NBA does open them up under certain constraints, obviously with some type of of parameters, do you think that'll have an impact, Ham, on on colleges allowing those your your players to come back to campus? Because let's face it, your guys potentially uh, back on campus might be putting them in a safer place than they are when they're home. So first, I. I Case, what do you think of, of the potential of guys coming back to, to to practice facilities and how you you guys would handle it? And then I'd be interested, Jonesy and, and Coach yeah. Hamilton, just seeing what kind of impact that that could have and if it could carry over to college. Well, I, for us, I think one probably disadvantage it has is I know right now Michigan we're a hot spot for the COVID virus, and so you know our whole state is closed down to May fifteenth. I think it is the governor said so. We're at a disadvantage from that standpoint where we couldn't go back if we wanted to. But if we did, I, you know, I think having one coach, one player per basket, we, we, we talked about having each player having their own ball. That way you put the ball in the rack, you spray it down each every day after practice, but uh, and kind of, uh, carp- you know, putting in different compartments with each player, not using the locker room. If we do provide food, Seth, having it out where players can take it and go uh, and not have a player or place where players are hanging out together and that type of thing. But uh, again, it's, gonna, it's new arising. There's no, there's no uh, norm anymore as far as practice, how you approach practice, but it's going to be more one-on-one, six feet apart. We talked about two in the weight room and two on the court with a coach, uh, just making sure we keep that distance and safety measure in. Uh, in the NBA, but right now with us in Michigan, we we can't do anything to the governor opening up the state. I think it's May fifteenth. Have yeah. you we have an impact on college? We we've basically been thinking about the same thing that Case is talking about, and we just it's a moving target because we're more concerned about the overall uh, university community as well as the athletes. So we don't we not we have more to, to concern ourselves with other than just. Uh, the at the, the athletes on, on campus. I'm not real sure that you can let the athletes back on campus and not let the other regular students back on campus. So that's some kind of a moving target as well. But if we were fortunate enough, you know, to allow our kids to get back into 
the training facilities, you know, we would definitely have to take a lot of measures, or like what Case is saying, because this is new for all of us. Uh, but but a little bit, a little farther, it's important for us as college coaches to, to keep coaching our guys' minds. It's so much different than the NBA. Uh, you have adults who have families and uh, and and uh, contracts and and, and upward mobility uh, and, and salary caps and all those things involved. In college, you have teenagers, 17, 18-year-old youngsters that are moving into young adulthood. So you have to have a relationship with them, their parents, to try to help teach and develop them. It's not always easy when you have so many kids from so many different backgrounds. And what we've tried to do is develop a culture where we all buy in and we all communicate and talk and, and come up to a, with an approach. We spend more time coaching their minds and their spirits than we do their bodies. Because physically, you're able to execute physically when you all when you in sync mentally and emotionally, and we work so hard at that, and we allow our players to have a lot of input as to the, how we're going to approach the games. And secondly, it, it's as interesting how different uh, the interaction is with NBA guys than it is with college guys. Joe, do you see this breaking news right here? NBA. Yeah, right there. That's, um, yeah. yeah. Beginning May the eighth, the NBA is going to institute some uh, new rules where they are allowing four players maximum at once, no header assistant coaches or group activity uh, allowed at the practice facilities. And uh, you know, this is such a developing story and and wave as it goes day by day. With you know, Texas, uh, the state of Georgia. Florida releasing its uh, stay-at-home rules and, you know, practice facilities about to open up. I know that, uh, you know, I was out today with a workout uh, with my daughter who works with an NBA trainer, and there are a couple of NBA guys that work with him at the time. And it feels like a lot of the players are out working out individually already with their uh, trainers of choice and, and getting their work in. So I'm almost of the opinion that, um, a lot of guys, uh, if they've been able to, if they have the means, have gotten to their gyms and, and getting the requisite workout. I know that uh, might not be uh, the majority, but I think it's a significant number of people. Um, I know that some of them now, as of today that I've spoken to, have been uh, summoned back to their respective cities in anticipation of these practice facilities uh, opening up again. And, um, you know, any way I think you look at it in the big picture, I think it's a positive sign um, that, you know, we're now starting to look at players uh, gravitating back to their practice facilities and, and being able to work out on May 8th in maximum groups of four. And, uh, you know, it's still my hope it may be a long shot, but it's still my hope that there's some kind of season to be played, even if we just go straight to the playoffs. Well, let me ask you that, uh, Coach Casey. How long do you think you would need with your team? Well, I I, I do know that we've been off what we we've been off what two months. I think it is now almost. I think a, a good three weeks, four weeks. I think of of, of practice. And again, um, you know, we, some teams are in different positions. And, and uh, Mark just said it. You know, a team like Boston, a team like L.A., a team like the Clippers. A team, you know, team like Milwaukee, they're playing for something different. Whereas, my, like ourselves, I, I listened to Steve Kerr the other day. You know, we're almost getting ready for the next season. Whether getting our offensive philosophy together, looking at our roster, developing our young guys. 
So it's a different approach for us. But again, I would say a good three, three weeks, four weeks uh, as far as getting, because if you don't, uh, you're looking, looking to get, have some significant injuries, uh, guys coming back, going against NBA competition, because believe me, it's a big difference going against that trainer in the, in that gym versus, <laughs> versus that you know, big six, eight guy, you know, so your body, you know, has to get used to that. And it takes some time because if you think about it also, this is the longest period of time a lot of NBA players haven't had access to a gym, access to NBA competition. You know, at least in the summertime, you can go get a, a game against NBA competition somewhere right. and so or get into a gym. And a lot of players, the majority of our league right now, hasn't had that opportunity to to go against those type players in a in a gym setting. Coach Ham, what would you think if the NBA came back? All right, and they say they had three or four games, and then they did basically what the NCAA does. They create a everyone gets in the tournament, seat the tournament, certain guys get buys, and when you get to the final four. It's the best three out of five or the best two out of three. You think I that, think, I think it would be outstanding. Like, I, I think it would be outstanding. I don't like the fact, well, here again, I, I hate Boston opinions because we all have them. But I would, I would like to see, you know, everybody involved at the, at the end of the year, like you say, maybe give the top teams a buy. Uh, because I, I think that sometimes th those guys at the, at the bottom have a, such a hard time ever catching back up and sometimes at the end of the year the bottom teams could be getting hot and playing better and coming off injuries and, and i think it would be so exciting for some of those teams to start knocking off some of the teams maybe at the top it would just create even a a, a better following and more excitement for the nba what do you think coach case you think that that's something that the players would be excited about i you know again it's it's hard to say you know again in my opinion i would love it as a coach but I would say in, in our league, you know, you got to have buy-in from the, the top echelon of guys, you know, to seeing how they feel about it. Uh, I, if I was the Lakers or the Clippers or Milwaukee right now, uh, I don't know if I would, I would go for that. But from my standpoint, whether you're trying to develop a team and, and trying to get them up to that level, I would love it. Because, again, it gives us an opportunity to get, in, to get a feel, to grow, uh, in that setting. So I think you're going to have two, you know, two gulfs of, of opinions uh, of that. And but I, I from a coaching standpoint, I, I agree with Coach Hamilton in the fact that I, I think it's it's good for us as a young team, uh, a team that's rebuilding uh, to have that opportunity. George, what do you think? You know, it's, I, I think that um, NBA leadership under Adam Silver in particular has always been very enterprising and uh, creative. And I think this is a great opportunity to, you know, go along the lines that Coach Ham mentioned that, uh, you know, maybe you give first round buys. I'd love to see a play-in type format where you give first round buys to the top maybe four teams, you know, the Lakers, the Bucks, um, you know, Clippers and whoever else in the respective conferences, one, two, three, four. And then you have a tournament type format after that because, uh, that's something that the league has talked about for a couple of years at some of their board of governors meetings and competition committee meetings and kind of tinkered with that idea of what it would look like. Why not try it now when kind of all bets are off and, and we're in this brand new world? I don't see any kind of downside to that. And I think what would be important um, if we do do that or whether we just go straight to the playoffs or whether we play uh, the regular season out 
is that I think about the 1999 lockout year, um, and guys, you guys probably remember it too, where um, once we got started, it was a condensed season. It was a little bit different because guys didn't have access. Guys had access to NBA facilities, but uh, it was a condensed season, 50 games, and it was a sprint to the finish line. It was some of the best basketball that you ever saw, and that's where I think the teams that will, if we get back to playing again, end up being successful are the teams with, A, a lot of depth, uh, and B, teams that have a culture of great conditioning because they're going to have to be ready to go when we get back. Yeah, I, I just think it would be interesting to put it at once. It would also be a way to get through the end of the season in a quicker fashion if you did some type of tournament because and, and maybe even safer because if it was at one site, if you lost, that team would obviously then move on and it would eliminate the number of people that are in the in the equation, especially if you had it, you know, a lot of people say in Las Vegas you could do a game in Cox, a game in uh, at UNLV, and then you play two games simultaneously. You know, as the tournament goes through, you can sit through it a little bit. And, and, and I think some of the players who played in the NCAA tournament, let me ask you, Ham, they would probably – you talk about raising your temperature. That would raise some dude's temperature. What do you think? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it would be interesting. I just like the idea of of the bottom guys having a chance to move up uh, like, like you have in college. I just think that uh, it's a new season. And uh, you don't have the buys, uh, maybe, but in the NBA, I don't know, Case, whether or not it would be good for a team to have a a week or so rest while everybody else is playing. I don't know whether that's a reward or whether that's a negative. You know, it's, it, as I sit here listening and having this conversation with you guys, which I'm totally thoroughly enjoying, I'm just realizing the difference in the approach in, in college as it is in the NBA. It's a it's an altogether different game. And uh, sometimes I think that's lost in the interpretation of, of how, how we present ourselves. Well, Ham, I'm going to give you something right up your alley, and I'm interested in what Coach Case does. <laughs> he think, all right, supposedly in, in the coming week they're going to have some type of conversation on one-time transfer exception, right, where you you got a chance to transfer once, not have to sit out, be eligible. In fact, the date they said is the drop-dead date would be September, which means a kid could decide – last day august that well you know i'm going to start to transfer boom and be at the next place where do you think i i know you've been in some conversations because i gave my man izzo your phone number like where 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 are you on this one-time transfer exemption and what is that good bad indifferent how how, how would you even handle the thing well it's, it's it's extremely challenging in the fact that it's hard to maintain continuity sell tickets uh come up with a, a, a strategy for your team when you don't know who's going to be on your team. And, and in life, you sign contracts with just about everything that we do. Uh, you sign contracts when you get married. You sign contracts to buy a car. You sign contracts all over the place. And it's, it's interesting that now, if, if my son is 16 years old and, and he gets home late, from driving the car, and I, I I put him on discipline. The next morning, I can go in his room and all his clothes will be gone. He moved next door with the neighbors <laughs> who have signed to let, let them drive the car. And I'm saying that's what, that's what it's like. And and, and I, I don't know if we've had enough conversation uh, about this process. 
I don't know any coaches who like it, especially the mid-majors. Mm -hmm. And for, for me personally, I could probably benefit from this. I mean, the ACC, sure. we play a good style of ball. Kids might want to come, but for overall good of basketball and what's best teaching youngsters, you know, how to accept responsibilities and work them ways through challenges, I'm not real sure that's good for the development of youngsters and it's not good for the, 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 the whole basketball community. I think we need more conversation about it. George, your daughter's a player. And what, 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 like just in a big picture, what would, what would you think about that? You know what? Uh, um, I, I think about my son, um, who Coach Ham was nice enough to have it as a Florida State Elite basketball camp when he was a sophomore. Um, it kind of was a jump start to the whole process of going through it. Um, he ended up signing at Presbyterian College, a small school in South Carolina, Big South Conference. Um, and before he even stepped on campus, the coach that we got to know, the coach that we felt very comfortable with, the coach that we liked, ended up leaving. And that was the start to our entire, our whole family's collegiate basketball experience. It might be the exception, but I thought about it at the time, how there are a lot of other kids that go through the same thing where the coach that you get close to leaves and it's, it really changes the complexion of your recruitment. I know they say that's about the school, but um, I think there's an undeniable part of the relationships you build with the people there. So I think under that kind of scenario, maybe there's a waiver where the kid gets a, a chance under a specific scenario like that. But in the whole, I don't think I like the whole idea of just total free agency and kids being able to leave for no reason. I think if I think there have to be some specific exceptions because otherwise then you know you have you have raiders of raiders just coming into the mid-majors and plucking them out and and they're all gone you know and 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 seth if you add that along with the opportunity now the kids are going to the g league you're going to have more chaos than you think you you want in college basketball and and for me from a selfish standpoint from a coaching standpoint I'd rather for guys to stay, you know, with their school, get that continuity, get the teaching. Because for me as a, as a coach evaluating players on the NBA level, if I see a kid who can't keep a commitment, he goes from school A to B to C, unless, like Jonesy saying, there's some circumstances out of everybody's control. You know, that, that says something that that kid, what that kid can't be committed to that contract. So uh, I think you have to be careful from, from a, from a coaching standpoint uh, to, to see that. And like Ham saying it from a, from a pure point is teams in the ACC, SEC, you know, Pac-12 you know, Pac or whatever it is are going to benefit from it because guys going to Western Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, oh man, I can, I can go play over at Kentucky. Guess what? The next day they're going to be going over and transferring schools and you're going to have chaos more than anything else. Yeah, George, what you said, I think if a coach leaves, they should give a two-week window once a new coach is hired, and if he doesn't feel comfortable with it, they should be up to transfer. I, I have no problem with that. Yeah. What you just said, Dwayne, like, and Coach Ham, you said it. Like, like I, all the guys I talk to now that I used to coach against, there's not one guy that likes the proposal. And the guys I'm talking to are all guys that would benefit from it. You just said it. You'd benefit from it, no doubt about it. Cal, he's totally against it. They benefit as much as anyone. Uh, just a, a quick crossover, kind of tying in, because Dwayne, you mentioned about about mm -hmm. the uh, NBA Academy. Mm -hmm. Ham, what's your take 
on the NBA Academy and basically, and, and this is me, look, I understand the NBA's business. The NBA is going to do what's in their best interest mm -hmm. and their shareholders' best interest. But the idea that right now they're literally trying to recruit guys off their college scholarships to see if they have an interest in the academy. And, and again, we don't know a ton about it, but what, what what's your guys' take on is the academy? Maybe for a select few, my worry about the academy, and this is just my opinion, you're going to have kids who think that they're on their way to the NBA that are basically going to lose their opportunities in life because they're not going to have that college experience and they're chasing a dream that's unattainable. But let's face it, young people a lot of times are unrealistic, but they're listening to people tell them what they want to hear. So I don't know, Ham and, and Dwayne, I'd love, and Jones, I'd love all your guys' take on that. Well, I, I'm happy and impressed by the fact that the NBA is giving youngsters an opportunity, those elite ones who really don't have any interest in going to college, that select few that will be going, that maybe just don't have any interest in going. I'm concerned about the process and the recruiting and, and paying the amount of money, but that's a whole other ballgame. I do think providing an avenue for youngsters to be able to realize their dream I think they can't do anything but good. But what we're talking, we have 5,200 guys playing in Division One basketball. And, and, and you have 500 NBA jobs. And every year, you're going to have about 20 to 25 new opportunities become available. So those, those opportunities are really for the elite of the elite of the elite. And so I'm concerned about not overreacting because there have been 44 players drafted from high school and has gone on to the NBA. Some of them have been very successful, some of them have been average, and some of them have been flops. But that's the same way it is when you go to college and you go scout them and film them and meet them and have meetings with them. Some of those guys flop as well. So it's all over the place in terms of whether or not it's going to be good for the NBA. If I'm an NBA, I like watching a guy mature and grow in college. And, and see what kind of person he's going to be. And I think that's the best model. Now, I'm, I am concerned that we don't seem to have the respect of the fact of valuing the college education. Yes. And, and to me, that's, people seem to devalue that, and we make it all our rules for the elite. Mm. But in reality, most of the guys are not going to play in the NBA because you only have 500 jobs and you only got 20 per year and we got everybody chasing it. So it's a moving target. I've said all along, Seth, I just wish we could all get together, all the basketball entities, and let's sit down and come up with a plan that does not necessarily adversely affect anyone, but that we can work some way together and, and, and make this better for everybody. But it seems as though we're kind of all in a selfish position. And I do not want to be, to be put myself in that selfish position because I'm hammering for what's best for the students. And I do believe that if there are 5,200 kids, most of them need their education. Hmm. And what, what really bothers me is that most of the time I hear the talking heads, the media and, and, the, and, the, and the print media as well. Those are guys with education and degrees, mostly. And I wonder, what would they say about their kids at 17, 18 years old going 
and, 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 and not going to college and getting their degrees, would they be interested in encouraging their kids not to go to college? And I wonder, there's a lot of sportscasters that play college basketball, but I wonder, had they went and played a few years and didn't have their education, what kind of life they would have right now? So I think sometimes we're not looking at, in my opinion, what's most important for the masses. And right now, I'm, I'm fine with taking care of the elite, but let's don't devalue the opportunity of going to college and developing and growing from teenagers to young adults. 100%. Coach Case? Seth, I'm going to say this from a personal standpoint because, again, you know, the NBA has their goals. But from a coaching standpoint, I totally agree with Coach Ham. There's probably one or two kids that are going to be able to take advantage of this G League uh, select team process or whatever it is. But from a coaching standpoint, I'd much rather for those kids to go to college, all right, get an education, get their butts kicked in, in college, get get taught the right way, how to be a pro, how to be a man or a young lady, and, and go through that process because there's no amount of experience that's going to teach you that. And because what happens is it's one or two guys that, that are good enough to come into that situation. You're going to have a lot of kids who think they're not ready for it. They think they're ready for it, but they're not ready for it. And they come in, they're going to be a flop. And then they're going to wonder what happened. And then guess what? They're not going to have that college degree to fall back on. So, again, it's one or two each year that can, can do that. But the rest of them better think hard and hard and long about trying to make that jump without being ready. And, and I, I agree with Coach Ham. We need to all get together as coaches, uh, owners, uh, Mr. Silver, who I think has done a great, Adam's done a great job of having foresight and being collaborative and and come up with a plan. That way we don't have those mistakes fall through the cracks uh, that could happen. But, you know, again, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for the NBA. But I would suggest that most players, there's probably one or two guys, and I don't know the two kids that are coming out this year that's going to that, but I would say – it's going to be a while before they're ready to step in and win an NBA game or be on a playoff team and contribute. It's very few. And uh, you can probably count on the hand, on your one hand, how many have done it through the, the history of the NBA. Case, we have 44 guys that have gone straight from high school to the NBA. And what, what we remember is how well they played after they matured and grew up. Yes. You know right. what I mean? That's what we recognize. Kobe, Garnett, Daryl Dawkins, Moses Malone. I mean, the list goes on of guys who, but it took them a while. Now, the league has changed. And I just think that those elite guys should have an opportunity. But it seems as though we've gotten caught up with everybody thinking that they're in that category. And I I don't want to see us lose sight of what's really been good in the model for for guys like Leonard Hamilton, who getting his education changed the whole culture of my entire family. Somehow or another, I'm just not feeling that everyone is put placing that value in, uh, uh, that I think should be placed in that area. But now there's there's no price there's no price you can put on maturity and getting a guy from your program getting a guy from Kentucky getting a guy who's been coached hard and is ready for this grind. I mean, again, guys can you know hoop and holler and think they're ready for it, 
But like you said, it, it takes a while to come in here and, and make a mark or, or, or be ready to contribute to winning. And I, uh, from a coach standpoint, that's what you're looking for. I think, I think um, you know, what really this is underscored by is it's, it's being driven. The NBA Academy thing, guys, I think is being driven by, uh, you know, business perspective to enhance the brand of the G League. Because if you look at it, it's the Lamelo Balls, it's the it's RJ Hampton, it's guys going to play in Australia. So I think the G League is saying, if they can do it, why not do it here? We'll make it easier for guys to stay in the G League, play on an elite team, learn how to become pros, get the player development uh, coaching that they need. And once again, uh, it's it's a handful of guys. It's it's three or four players, and then they've intimated that they're going to fill out the rest of the roster with uh, other veteran G League players. But I, I think when you look at the salaries they're talking about playing them, and I don't think it's quite the reported five hundred thousand dollars they talked about. It's probably somewhere between two fifty and and one twenty five. And um, like I said, it's they see it. The G League does for their brand enhancement. Better to have them guys like Hampton and Lamelo Ball here than overseas in Europe, China, or Australia. No, I like. George, it. I agree with that. Here's the two the things that I would say. Too many guys think it's a rite of passage. Like if you're a pretty good high school player or a McDonald's All American, guys think it's a rite of passage. Well, I'm just going to go to the league, or if I don't make it in the league, I'm just going to go to Europe. That's yeah. not real. All right, that's not mm -hmm. real. It is hard. And, yeah. and the whole concept, it's not for everyone. Like the NBA, and I'm not an NBA guy, but is an exclusive club mm -hmm. for the very best of the very best. And I, I did a thing the other day with Malcolm Delaney and uh, uh, one of my former players and Jamon Gordon, two guys that made a gazillion dollars playing over in Europe. Really, really good players. And Leonard, you know those guys. And they try. Unfortunately, to I do. Yeah. <laughs> they try, yeah, but Tony Douglas killed me with those jumpers. It don't even get me started. But they, they they try to explain like Europe's not for everyone, man. Like Europe is not about your potential. Europe it's about productivity. Like you go to Europe, you're not playing well, boom, you're out and you're not getting paid. Like you go to Europe, you're starting making a seventy-five thousand dollars maybe, and you might you've got to work your way up and show people you can help win championships. My concern is exactly what you're saying, Leonard. Like we're losing track and devaluing education where the masses are going to need that big picture and the amounts of money, unless it's real money, like $250,000 is let's face it. It's about 170. Then you have to move to California or wherever you're going to buy a car. You're going to have to feed yourself. It's a lot of money. I understand. And I, I would never sit, tell anyone how to live their life, but, Everyone, you asked every guy on your team, if I asked any guy, every guy on my team, when they came in or anyone across America, how many guys think you can play in the NBA? They all raised their hand. And the reality is 60 guys are getting drafted, 20 are going to be European guys, 20 are going to be underclassmen, 20 are going to, and, and half of those guys are going to have a cup of coffee in the NBA. Guys that the masses go from high school to college, they might have an NBA program that's going to help them academically but they have nowhere to go back to. A guy spends a year or two in college, he's gonna go back to Florida State. He's got a home, he's got a landing place. A guy goes to Kentucky, all right? He's got a home, he's got a landing place. Those are those are my concern. I, look, if a guy can make it and he's a great player, that's great. Let me ask you guys, how much you playing in, the, in college basketball make for Zion Williamson? 
And, I mean, that's, I don't know. See, he's, he may be on that one, that hand I was talking about, yeah, that one or two yeah. guys a year. But he was but, uh, pretty good for that year in college basketball. Exactly. No, he, he was – again, he playing at Duke that year helped him more than you can ever put a price on as far as getting ready for what he's going through now and is going to go through these next few years in the NBA. Hey, Seth, here's what I know about the projected intent, the objective of this G League program. Their plan, and they realize what spending one year at Florida State or one year at Duke or one year at Kentucky might do for a player's marketing, quote-unquote, their idea is to tell the personal stories of these players while they're in the G League, not base it so much on the play per se, but take Zion Williamson. He had a lot of hype before he even stepped on campus at Duke because of all the videos we saw on social media, all the features in Slam Magazine. I mean, he was he was almost legendary before he stepped on campus, and then it went to a little bit of a different level once he got on campus. But I, I think there's a lot of marketing um, notoriety that they plan on putting behind these players to do what a one year in can on college campus might do for them. That's, no, I, that's, uh, George, I agree with that, but you know what? Yeah. When you're playing at Florida State, you're playing every single night on national yeah. TV. Every single night. I, I, that G League select team, is gonna, I'm sure it's going to be great, and they're going to have good coaches coaching. I, look, I have no doubt about that, but I'll tell you what they won't be. They won't be on every big Monday, Super Tuesday, college game day, th uh, whatever we have on Thursday. Uh, they, won't, they won't have the notoriety on a daily basis. <laughs> The daily basis, because I'll tell you one thing. One thing we do, we make some dudes some stars. Think yeah. about think, yeah. think about Trey Young, yeah. who he was when he came in, and within in six weeks, that dude blew up. And I'm not saying, look, I'm. There's a lot of different ways to get there. Look, the, the road to, to success is always under construction. There's a lot of different ways to get to the end line. I just think if we if we continue to devalue education. We're going to have a generation of guys that thought they were better than they were, put all their eggs in one basket, and, and don't have a landing place. And to me, and again, I, I'm at it. Look, I don't have a, you know, a horse in races. I'm at it. I'm at a coaching now. Right. To me, uh, that worries me. Seth, let me let me ask you one thing. Now, Coach Ham said something earlier. There may be one or two guys that have no interest in being a student. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but they're they're good enough athletically and, and as a basketball player to play in the G League. Now, it could serve as a landing spot for those kids. Sure. Kids, maybe one, are not capable of being a good college student, don't want to be a college student, and have no desire that may go to uh, China or Timbuktu to try to play that one year before they come to the league. So, though, But those are the things that I think have to be ironed out by the NCAA, the NBA, uh, to to make sure we don't get those kids lost lost in the shuffle or, or you know and that type of thing. See, but I don't want to do. You know, I like to think things through. And, and, and <laughs> that's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> hey, what we got there? What we got there? I, I see you. I see your case. I see you. I got the I got the mustache see, thing going on. I got hair on my head. I see you, kid. I see yeah, you. Yeah, wait a sec. Now, this is as good as it gets right here now. Oh, my goodness gracious. You got the three-piece, son. You got the three-piece. got that three-piece. Yeah, he still got that three-piece going. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it, it probably still fits him now. <laughs> I know. I Coach Ham, I'm going to tell you this. You look, you look Coach, older in that picture, Ham, than you, than you do now. <laughs> Coach, I'm, I'm going to get some of that medicine you're taking to keep you so young. Boy, I tell you what, I got gray coming through and it can't keep the gray out. <laughs> but, but Seth, Seth yeah. what I'm saying is this. I think if we we talk and we give opinions, but there's statistics, the statistics will bear out what's the right thing to do. If you go back and look at the top players in the a in the NBA right now, all of them then go to ACC schools. What I'm saying to you, there are a lot of guys who went to Weber State, Fresno State, San Diego State, Washington, Davidson. Those guys are the best players in the league, and they went to college, and they honed their skills and grew and developed. You have other guys who went another route. What I'm saying to you, that proves that those guys going to college hone their skills, develop, and they have, are unique, and they are some of the best players in this league. Now, there's a different ways to town, you know what I mean? And, and there's no one particular way. I don't want to poo-poo the opportunity for youngsters to go on. I just, all I hear is how we're trying to get to the league, and I'm saying it was the time when you actually would get lose your job and not go to the NCAA if you didn't have the right APR academically with your team. There are schools that have been put on probation because they didn't take care of business academically. Now, it's changed. You know, everybody's placing emphasis on how do we get to a spot? How do we chase the, 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 the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? We can't see the rainbow and there's no pot for most of them. You only, go, you only have 20 to 25 jobs per year becoming available. And I'm saying to you, I don't know if it's worth, Mark, the investment of the money, the promotion that you say that I don't believe is going to be there, promoting guys and telling the story about somebody in, in La Cruces, in some little small town, wherever the D League is going to be, G League, So excuse me. I just think that there's a better way for us to work this out. And, and I, I think that we all are in a situation where selfishly, we, it's a possibility we might end up destroying, you know, the golden goose, you know, the mm -hmm. laid I'm just saying, you, we got a really good thing going, and somehow both leagues, that, both, leagues. both ways. Yeah, and if we yeah. if we can put somebody on the moon, we can figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, hey, to wrap it up, Jonesy, let's just go around real quick. What's your hope for comp for for basketball in the next eight months? College pro, both of them that we yeah, uh, general, just I mean, like just in general, like that, if you um, through a tunnel eight months from now, what what do you want to see? You know what? That that just honestly, for me, it's a real simple one. Just that we get back to playing. Um, that somehow, um, you know, in the NBA, we can get back to having games with fans. I don't know whether that's attainable, but in a uh, in a perfect scenario, in a in a month or two, that. We get started back playing, finish the season, crown an NBA champion, and uh, that uh, we work something out uh, that works for, as we are just talking about, uh, the select few that want to go straight to an NBA academy and um, continue to have a great value on the uh, what a degree means as a student athlete playing college basketball. That's good stuff. Coach Case? Well, you know, are you talking about what we want to do in the next few months, uh, Seth, as far as getting yeah, back to basketball? Yeah, just like the state, state of our game in the next – 
eight to ten months. Well, what can we do moving forward? I guess. Again, I, I think college basketball and the NBA was at the the height, the the top of of the, the game at that when it went on when we all stopped. I think right now the most important thing is getting us back to where we can be uh, safe. We can get back to basketball, get back to college, get back to the NBA game, but it's got to be safe. I think it's got to be a situation where because I, I I go back to the night our last game against Philadelphia. And when Christian Wood came down, I mean, you would not have known this young man had caught the virus. So my thing right now is make sure we get safe, get or get a vaccine to get this thing under control because it's no joke. Uh, basketball right now should be secondary, but the safety of the, the fans, safety of the players to get both the NCAA and the NBA back because I, I love the game. I think we had a beautiful game going. You know, on both ends, I was getting excited about the March Madness and getting excited about our situation as far as rebuilding, getting ready for the draft. Uh, but again, it's got to be done in a safe way where, you know, we can't we got to get rid of this this monster that we're fighting right now, which is the COVID-19. Coach Ham. I, I, I have so much concern about where we are as a society from a financial standpoint, from a health standpoint. We when you, you you have so many people dying, uh, fighting this this mythical disease that we can't see, but just seem to be we have to be at war with uh, with this invisible enemy. Uh, and I'm concerned about the safety of our players. Like Kay's saying, I'm concerned about what can, what are we going to do with, with recruiting in the summer? I mean, how are we going to make a decision in two weeks away from a whole lot of people? catching the disease and dying and we're gonna be in a gym playing basketball sitting in the stands i'm 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 concerned as to what is the right thing to do and how do we sort this out i'm willing to make every, whatever sacrifice is necessary as much as i want to coach as much as i want to see us get back i'm more concerned on how we're going to do it and, and be safe uh, because I'm, I'm seeing people just dying all over the place uh people that i've known and it's just so disheartening. And I can't really wrap myself around basketball as a sport until I know whether or not my youngsters are going to be safe out there playing. I had an empty feeling in my stomach getting on that bus that Saturday morning we're going to play Clemson. And I'm wondering if they can't, if it's so bad that we're going to have a limited amount of people in the stand, then what are we doing? How can the disease not be in the stand and, and not be on the floor? I, I just, my mind and my heart was heavy, and I actually was relieved when we decided that we were going to cancel the tournament. And I felt the same way about the NCAA tournament. As bad as I wanted to participate in it and get to the Final Four and win it for our team, I was so overwhelmed and concerned about the safety of the fans and the players and all involved that I'm just hoping that we can come to the point where we can feel comfortable you know, that with the vaccine and a cure that, that will give me a comfort zone that the youngsters that I'm responsible for will be safe and enjoying the game that they love to play. Yeah, I'd be remiss, Coach Ham. That was really well put. How eerie was it accepting the ACC championship trophy in, as the tournament? I mean, how, what was that? That had to be a surreal. I, I remember sitting there watching it and like, in the studio, it was surreal for us. I Like, I, like I didn't know what to say. We're, we're showing pictures and they're asking us, you know, Tell us what you think. And I, I, I couldn't. 
it was weird. As the commissioner was explaining the situation to us, and we won the league outright in the regular season. And as the conversation was going, I thought I heard him say we would represent the ACC. But it didn't really dawn on me that we actually were going to be crowned the tournament champion. And as I, as that was happening in front of me, because when you listen, your mind's all over the place. I'm seeing us give us this trophy. And I'm trying to, in my mind, okay, I thought I heard him say that, but I thought I misunderstood. <laughs> and it was a really interesting feeling. But when I look back at it, how else, who else deserved it? How else somebody had to represent the conference and we were not going to play and we won the conference. And so in a lot of schools, you know, don't award their champion with their conference, regular season conference. Some people don't have tournaments. So it was just an unreal feeling. Like you say, it was different and interesting. And it wasn't that I wasn't proud of, of it for my team. It just was something that I had never seen before. And we accepted it. And we were proud of the fact that we, he felt that, that we were worthy of that honor. But it was different. And uh, I would love to have played in the tournament the one the right way. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it, it was a, a weird thing. Yeah, I appreciate you guys doing this. I, my, my thing is real simple. I, through all this, I, I my biggest things when it comes to whether it's basketball or life is, I think the one thing we, we learn Tone is really important. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Right. And that we all need to, and I'm not a political person, but we all need to just respect each other a little bit more. Uh, we are in uncharted waters. And the only way we're going to get out of this, and we hear it every single day, we're all in this thing together. And I, you know, I get a little emotional about this. Then we need to all be in it together. And yeah. that, that, that everyone needs to be pulling in the same direction. And and the most important thing is to care for the, for the next person. And, and Let's figure it out together, not to win an argument, but just to be in something. And our shared vision should be looking through that tunnel and we're, and we're at the end of this thing and not mm -hmm. on one side of the tunnel or the other side of the tunnel. What you say, how you say it, and, and the tone in which you say it, to me now, is more important than anything in, in our society. And then, and then the other thing would be just, let's find, you know, hopefully we have a lot of brilliant people in this world and I know they're all working together uh, and we've got to have trust in those people uh, and be thankful for the people, the doctors and the nurses and the hospital workers and the food chain and the, and the police officers and the fire people and our first responders who are putting themselves at risk every single day. And uh, if, if we let everyone do their jobs, uh, kind of like we learned in the last dance, if everyone does their job and does what they, what they do well, We'll find a way out of this, and uh, I can't thank you guys enough. This was this was really therapeutic for me. I got to be honest. Me too. Same here. Same here. All right. Good seeing you guys. See you. Have see you. All right. See y'all later. Okay.